This is Coda Radio, episode 63, for August 19th, 2013. You're listening to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This show is brought to you by our three fine sponsors, GoDaddy.com, UnitySync from Derwiz.com, and Ting.com. I'll tell you more about all of them as the show goes on. My name is Chris. We stream this episode live on a Monday morning, and joining us every single week is our excellent host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. I am not playing browser quests. That's all I can say. <laughs> That's all right. I'm not spending tons of money in app purchases on Plants vs. Zombies too. That's all I can say. <laughs> uh, I'm in Egypt. Where are you in Plants vs. Zombies? Um, I'm towards the tail end of Egypt. Actually, I don't know. Okay. Maybe you could tell me. I'm matching right now. We're matching. No, no, no. no. The... So I, I just started Egypt, so don't tell me nothing. Oh, okay. Oh, I don't. No spoilers. Yeah. Don't, no spoilers in Plants vs. Zombies. So here's here's the thing. I know last week we said uh, we kind of we had an interesting discussion around in-app purchases, and I was feeling like we were pretty firm. I was kind of against them, but could recognize why it was happening right and then plans versus zombies 2 came out and in three days i have spent 36 roughly 38 dollars in in-app purchases you spent 38 dollars in three days on plans versus zombies well so i'm playing with my son dylan and he it is so adorable to see how into this he is i mean he's really loving this game and uh he's getting really good at it too which is exciting to watch but there is like really fun power-ups you can you can buy and like cool uh plants you can unlock and stuff and like you know when you the problem is here's where they get you is you buy one you put the password in and then for like 15 minutes it's just push the button and then that button like when you're about to lose the level and it just takes that push of that one button and your son really wants to unlock that level because the next right. level's got something really cool in it. I ended up doing it like way too much. And I almost don't even regret it at all. And I'll tell you what I, what I realized it was is, first of all, I come from a generation that pay like $60 for a game. Still yeah. have on occasion. So it's more, it's more about, I think, people don't fully appreciate the value of these games and the enjoyment they get from them. But once I have the game and I'm enjoying it, I recognize that it's important to me, that I, I like it, and, and then I'm willing to spend the money. I think that's part of the reason why those in-app purchases work so well. But I digress. I didn't mean to distract us too much. We have a great show planned today. We have uh, uh, Dan from Mozilla joining us. He's working on the Persona project, which is hopefully uh, a chance for Mozilla to save us from our corporate overloads at uh, Facebook or Microsoft at Google. And uh, we also have some great emails to get to. we got a heck of a show today, Mr. Dominic. Are you ready to get started? I'm never ready, but let's do it. I know. It's a Monday for sure today for both of us. It, oh, yeah. Case of the Mondays. Well, all right. Well, we have uh, – I'm very excited. We have three fantastic sponsors this week, three sponsors. And so let's just do uh, let's do a welcome back sponsor right up at the very start, and then we'll jump into the emails. So uh, coming back on the Coder Radio program this week is Ting.com. And the URL you guys want to visit is CoderRadio.Ting.com. Now, Ting is mobile that makes sense. Let's just start right here, and especially for this crowd – for you developers, when you have to do compatibility testing, when you have to have multiple devices, you have this, and I know, Michael, you can you can attest to this, there is this oh, yeah. major device problem that we end up having where we have multiple devices sitting around. Even when we're not using them, they are costing us an arm and a leg every single month. 
But you need them for application compatibility testing, among other things. I had them for support purposes. For that way, when I had a, a high-end client, I needed to be able to walk them through something step-by-step over the phone. So I had their same Android device. This is, Absolutely. This is something I had to do even back in the BlackBerry days. And Ting, one of the things that they're doing that is a completely different approach than all of the other mobile carriers out there is, first of all, we're going contract-free. And you have you're, no early termination fee. So if you need a device for a little while, you don't have to stress about the contract. But secondly, and this is really where it's going to empower support specialists, developers, IT guys out there, listen to this. Ting only bills you for what you use. So you don't have these plans that you're just wasting a bunch of minutes on. They break the rates out by minutes, text messages, and megabytes, and they'll just bill you at the end of the month for whatever bucket you fall into. So if you just have a phone sitting on your desk that you didn't use that entire month because you're not working on that project, it's going to cost you a flat $6. It's $6 a line, and you got nothing to worry about. If you start using it, very, very reasonable rates that are all broken out on Ting's page. They've got a fantastic dashboard that helps you gauge where you're at, what your usage is. No add-on charges. You're going to get voicemail, caller ID, tethering, hotspot, three-way calling, call forwarding, all the other features that are part of a good cellular service are just included. They're not add-ons. I love that. It's a full-on fantastic service. If you've got good Sprint coverage in your area, you will have fantastic Ting service. When you combine their online powerful account control panel with their no-hold customer support, Ting also is changing the game on support. If you call them at 1-855-TING-FTW anytime between 8 a.m. or 8 p.m., a real person's going to pick up the phone. So go to coderadio.ting.com and save $25 off your first device, or if you're going to bring a device and they'll help you figure out what devices you can bring, you'll get $25 off your first month of service. Really, I enjoy Ting quite a bit. And in fact, um, I just hooked up uh, Matt from Linux Action Show yesterday on Ting. He took it home, and he's loving the Ting service already. I got an email from him this morning. He's just completely thrilled. So go to uh, coderadio.ting.com and try it out for yourself. See what oh, we've been have, telling people. They have the HTC One for folks looking for a really, really good phone. <clears throat> yeah. My phone of choice. My phone of choice, sir. I really like the HTC. So thanks to Ting for coming back to the Coder Radio Show. And you guys, go uh, thank them yourselves by visiting coderadio.ting.com. And letting them know that you appreciate them keeping us on the air. All right, well, why don't we get to our email real quick so then we can start chatting with Dan. Um, in fact, our first email came in from a Danny. How about that? Yes. All right, so uh, Danny wrote in. Let me pull up Danny's. He's overworked. Uh, no, that's Leon. He says, uh, so Danny writes and he says, Chris Lass, you're kind of my role model, geek hero. I listen, watch, listen to all JB's content, and I appreciate you're, and I try to keep your sponsors uh, happy every chance I get. Well, thanks, Danny. Uh, and Michael, you're also his favorite developer. There's a lot of love in this email. He says, but I got to get down to business. He says, I work for a large company, multi-billion dollar, owner of 40% of a market, market segment type player. That's a big, okay, big. Mm. With a mom and pop mentality. Oh, wow. It's extreme, bad. Yeah, it's extremely brutal <laughs> for various reasons. And I've come to the decision that I need, to ex- I need an exit strategy, but not sure what direction to go. The problem Down. is... yeah, Just jump. <laughs> Just jump. The problem is I have a lot of undocumented experience. What I mean by that is I do whatever it takes to get the job done. If that means QA, I do QA. If that means being a server jockey, then I mount up. I wrote a backup script that several of our customers use to back up their mission-critical systems. I do it all, but I have a passion for Linux... Which I run, which we don't run at work, but I'm planning to put a 24U server in my home office. The question is, how can I follow up my passion with my professional experience, when it, especially when it's special, uh, professional experience is elsewhere? Okay, so this is actually, so you would think that doing a lot of or having done a lot of different things, and this is just from a dev point of view, Chris, you're probably, I imagine admin is a little different. 
uh, is a good thing, right? That if you can just list everything under the sun that you've ever done on your resume, it'll look great. In fact, it doesn't, right? Um, I don't know. I find that every five years it's good to pick a specialty, something you want to focus on for the next few years, and then still do the other stuff. But for instance, you know, right now my specialty is iOS and Mac, right? Um, I still do Android. I still do web, and on the back end, I you know I still do all that that stuff I used to do. But I don't really, for instance, I don't push Java, right? Yeah, no, just .NET. <laughs> uh, yes, well, I keep, there, there, I keep. there are reasons for that. And basically it's that, uh, well, that's a different conversation about some of the security problems in Rails that have caused me to migrate a little bit. But actually, you know what? Chris has a fair point. I am, where I can, I am trying to push people towards .NET right now. Um, because it's an area that I want to focus on for at least the next year. And to, I guess, I guess what I'm saying, Chris, is to Danny's point, you know, I'm not sure if I was looking for, for someone who's doing admin, if he listed every version of Windows Server, every technology from Microsoft, and then a bunch of Linux stuff, would I be confused? Would I, would I see a lack of focus? Yeah, I think he needs to focus more on accomplishments. I, you know, this was the problem. This is how I solved it. This was what we, this is how we benefited. Kind of a one, uh, pretty clear forward approach. Honestly, it sounds like this guy should be a contractor. When you, when you're sort of, when you're sort of getting a little bit of expertise in all these areas, it usually to me indicates you have the ability to get in, analyze the situation and figure out the resolution pretty fast. And that's a key skill to being a contractor, uh, development or a sysadmin. So, uh, you know, he, maybe he needs to rethink, and you don't have to – to be a contractor, you don't have to go out on your own and start your own business. You can go work for companies who hire contractors – who who you know deploy contractors and you're an employee for that company. Right. You get a salary, but they send you – I mean I guess from – you know, when talking to developers, usually there's this question of, okay, you've done all this stuff, but what do you want to do for the next year, right? Right, what, what right. What area are you – you know, in particular, there's a lot of Java guys who don't want to look at Java anymore, right? And there's a lot of .NET guys who feel the same way. And I'm a Bash guy who's done looking at Bash. Really? What are you moving to? PowerShell, I hope. <laughs> yes, and, and the feed dies every time I mention a Microsoft technology. It's amazing. Yeah, I think the East Coast. I think the East Coast uh, feeds are having some issues. It's okay on the West Coast, but you know that happens sometimes. That does happen. But Danny, I would say uh, this might be a little old school. I don't know if it's still modern to put like an objective on your resume or on your cover letter. But I would go with that. Like, so if your objective is to get into, you know, um, Red Hat admin rather than just any admin job, mm, right? Mm. Or maybe Ubuntu-based or Canonical-based admin or cloud admin, instead of just saying, I will take any admin job, period. That might help you f- at least focus a little bit, right? Because um, it sounds like you just don't want to be doing Windows anymore. I don't know if that's the impression Chris got. Yeah, and I've been there too. I've been yeah. in that same position where it's like, you know, this is just not my interest anymore. And a lot of that motivation to do all of it and be a problem solver comes from a, a passion to be to work on that technology. And when you start to lose that flame, it's hard to motivate yourself. Well, you start to burn out on something you've been doing, you know, especially if you've been doing it full time for a year or months on end. Mm-hmm. It can get a little yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Well, let us know what happens. Danny and uh, we'll keep we'll keep keep us posted, right? So uh, Lennon, Leon, what do you how do you suppose? I think it's Lennon. L, it's there's a lot of ends. That's what's tripping me up. I'm gonna be I was thinking like John Lennon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go with that. I think I think why not? 
Even if it's not how it is, that's how I'd want it if I were him. He says, uh, hi, Mike and Chris. Oh, thanks. Uh, you often warn on the show about replacing those who've burnt out because they've been putting pulling, you know, 10,000 hour weeks or something like that. Unfortunately, I made the mistake of being over keen when offered a job of a senior developer at a company, and I stupidly ended up overdoing and doing just that. I feel I'm approaching a mass burnout and don't want to let it get that far. Any tips on recovering from a dodgy position before my job gets outsourced to fingertip tech? Thanks for the awesome show. Any advice is invaluable, Whoa. and I swear I've learned more than one year of coding since I started listening to the show. In his three years at his university. <clears throat> That's nice. Hang on. It's all that outsourced work, right? When we keep outsourcing to these uh, these small indie shops on the East Coast, and the good, honest uh, nine-to-fivers oh, are losing well, yeah, their jobs. Yeah, they, what's next? You're going to do the Southport thing? They took her jobs? <laughs> oh, all man. Right, so I, I think it's a personality thing, right? Like, I'm a contractor for a reason, right? Because uh, I have the attention span of a flea. And, you know, a year-long project is pretty much, you know, I try to do longer, but, but it's tough. Um, if you've already overworked yourself, I have never been able to come back from that point without just leaving the project. Yep. I Ever, would probably concur. Well... The problem, well, the problem is, for me, at least every experience I've had in that situation... When, once you've set that expectation, you start to, you know, once you go back to a normal, let's say, hourly week, whatever it should be, people start questioning performance and value, and you get into that weird thing. Well, they expect every week to be a crazy overtime week. Yeah, I think here's the thing. Yeah, you're right. You're right. When you're working for a company and with a group and there's expectations, there's almost never any coming back. When you're on your own personal project, like I've been on projects like my own, like on the shows, or the network where I've just gotten really, 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 really burned out. And then I've been able to sort of rediscover something about it and sort of re-energize and motivate myself. But I am able, you know, I don't have to respond to anybody's other than the audience's expectations. So um, it's a lot harder when you're in a group of people where they think they can call you at certain hours or they think, you know, when, when a lot of times people will sort of adjust how long they think things should take. Yeah, and then and, uh, they plan on it like that. And that's a big problem because then, what is it? Uh, there used to be an expression, plan for the divorce when you're planning for the wedding, something like that. It's really important to you know, understand that things aren't permanent, right? You're not going to be working at the same company for your entire life or on the same contract. And if you just need to leave, Lennon, then you just need to leave. You know, If you've set these expectations way too high, you know, it, I don't know if you're in the nightmare scenario where people are calling you at night or anything like that, but you know, just look at it from, but use it as a learning experience where if you've set these ex- expectations incorrectly, then in your next project or your next job, make sure you don't do that again, right? Now, I'm not saying be a clock puncture. I'm not saying at 5 o'clock be like, yo, I'm out. But certainly you shouldn't be working till 10 at night or taking work home every weekend. Well said, sir. Well said. Okay. Well, um, so we got a lot of emails around the FizzBuzz stuff and, yeah, and well, tweets that's and email, Google Plus, Twitter. And uh, I haven't even gone. I, w- I jumped in the subreddit this morning. I didn't grab anything there, but we got a great conversation going on the post in the in the Coda Radio subreddit too. So yeah, it, it, it was awesome. So I just wanted to talk about this for like four seconds because we got really three types of emails about this. Okay. Um, what the hell's wrong with these kids? They're so stupid. You oh. should. You know, they should ask for their money back from school, Aww. which is, I think, a little much, right? Uh, one person 
the other set was one of our some of our more senior, more hardcore developers telling me that I'm much too liberal. Fizzbuzz is too easy. That that's you know if they can't pass Fizzbuzz back in my day, we could do Fizzbuzz in our sleep. That should be step zero, right? <laughs> and then I and I should continue getting harder. Uh, and then we got a few. I'm going to say probably our younger listeners who were honest enough to say they couldn't solve it until I told them how on the air and are now concerned about their education because they're third years or fourth years in university studying computer science or whatever their particular school happens to call it. Um, so for the first group, yeah, second group, you're kind of mean. Third group, I'm sorry. Right? I, mean, I, th- all, I think all three of those people are right to a point. Um, I think the, perhaps for a later date, the topic of concern should be that third group, those students who now are feeling insecure on their education, right? Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, because I mean, I, you know, I, I feel like, I definitely feel like if you can't solve FizzBuzz and you've got <laughs> a development degree, you have a problem. I don't know that I agree with the second group, and I understand where they're coming from, especially these are often our writers who who do much more low level like kernel style development where it's you know they're down doing bitwise stuff right they're down in in the trenches but sometimes i feel like once you've gone so far you've gone so advanced it's hard to look back at what it was like to to suck right like yeah cuz it all seems so obvious now it all seems so easy mm-hmm. um in particular most of the kids who when i say kids i mean college students who wrote in in that third group didn't know what the the mod operator was or that it existed which is unexcusable, bad. right? <laughs> like, which is, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's re- it's really tough to. I I don't know what to say. I mean, no, it's, it's 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 uh, yeah. I would say un- inexcusable. I mean, I could recommend one of our uh, affiliate links, Code School, uh, but even then, Code School is more about learning particular technologies, right? They assume you have some kind of development uh, acumen already. So code schools, you've been a Java developer or whatever, and right. you want to learn Rails or jQuery. You already have the basics, but you need to learn the specifics of the tech. Yeah, and that's kind of what I mean. That's kind of what our issue was: is that these are almost like they're just in school skipping the basics entirely. But we know they're not, so that's what's so weird about it, right? Because right. that I that mean, goes counter to what we actually have heard. So I wonder if you would agree with this statement that I feel like. Any student who's learning software development that would take an hour out of their week or 45 minutes, however long the show actually is once it's cleaned <laughs> up, to – no, I, I'm being serious. Or read you know, programming blogs or, or you know, look at Hanselman or any of that stuff, listen to Coder Radio, whatever, is not in the lower percentage of his class, right? Right. He's probably towards the higher end. Um, and he's definitely passionate, he or she, if, if this person's taking that, that time out of their free time. So that is a little worrisome because if this is the top end, well, what's the bottom end like? Hmm. And uh, I have no hmm. regret to go for hmm. the top. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I don't know if you can draw that conclusion. All right, and that's fine. I mean, I maybe that's maybe that is going too far. <clears throat> yeah. Hmm. Food for thought. Food for thought. All right. Well, before we bring on Dan, who maybe has some thoughts on that. Let's see. Let's let's talk about Unity Sync. Unity Sync by Directory Wizards, Derwiz.com. Go check out Unity Sync. This saves that. That saves you from that old IT problem that I struggled with 
literally for years. How do you properly sync between multiple types of directories? And I'm talking any kind of directory, Actor Directory, Microsoft Exchange, Novell's eDirectory, OpenLDAP. Oh, you got some Oracle directories? Yeah, you can sync from that. Lotus, no, Lotus Notes or Domino's? Yeah, yeah, you can sync for that. Any kind of LDAP-based product, group-wise, SQL Server, Access, Oracle, anything like that. You can sync between these databases. Now, I like to I like to mention this scenario because literally this is the scenario that I struggled with for years. I as a as a contractor, I would come in many, many, many times into a client's office where they have purchased a company at some point or they have been purchased by a company. And a lot of times their IT guy would split. And so they'd bring me in, Chris, can you solve a, can you solve this problem? Uh, Cheryl over in HR, every time she updates the phone number and every time Susie changes her last name because she gets married all the time, Chris, you, don't, you, you, you probably should just stay away from her desk. Every time she changes her name or every time she gets a new phone number or moves departments, they update it in their application, but IT doesn't get it updated. And so we look like a bunch of bozos because we, in Thunderbird or in Outlook, we do lookups and we get the wrong information. Why do these data islands exist in 2013? I don't know. No, but Unity Sync solves that, so it's almost like it's not even a problem anymore. Unity Sync will move information between the two different directories to keep them exactly in sync. Now, you can maybe just pull certain attributes from one and write it to another. You can do something like take out just this if it matches the template, but if the phone number isn't formatted quite correctly, don't pull it and put bogus information in a good directory. It has intelligence like that. Plus, it has a Perl scripting interface, so that way you can do some automation and really get under the hood. You know, if you love Perl like Mr. Dominic does. It's used by the NFL, Anheuser-Busch, and many more. Go to derwiz.com slash unitysync. Click on that customers link, okay? When you're over there, I'll do it right now. I got it up right here. When you're over there, just kind of gaze at this list here. I mean, this is the DC Council. DC Court Services. Oh, man. Oh, man. I bet those guys have information to sync. The Canadian Department of National Defense. That's probably an enterprise grade installation. This is what I love about Unity Sync. Enterprise grade software, easy to use, web front end, runs on Windows or Linux. That's awesome when you're talking enterprise grade under five megabytes. You know that's some good code, Mr. Dominic. You know they're doing it right. And the Quota Radio audience, of course, appreciates that. You can get a you can get a discount or an extended trial, sorry, 30-day trial if you use the code CODER. When you're checking out or when you're downloading, you know, go over to derwiz.com, click on that download link, choose Unity Sync from the dropdown. Of course, I'm sure you're going to choose the Linux version, right? Right. And then put in the code CODER. Oh, also mention you heard about it on the podcast. Would you do me a favor? Hook me up with that. Put in the code CODER. You'll notice it recognizes that you put in our super secret code. Oh, except there you go. Boom. Welcome Quarter Radio users. When you see that, click download. You're going to get the 30-day trial, but you're also going to get the first year of maintenance thrown in. Now, how about that? When you decide to pull the trigger, you're going to be taken care of for a year. That's a great deal. So thanks to Unity Sync and Directory Wizards, go to derwiz.com, check out Unity Sync, and solve that problem. Become the IT hero. Man, if I would have had this back in the day, would have solved so many problems. Thanks to Unity Sync for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. You there, Mr. Dominic? Did I lose you? Can you hear me now? Yeah. I had some shenanigans with Skype during the ad. My apologies. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> That's all right. Um, I would just like to add, I do like Directory Wizard. Except oh. it doesn't run on Mac. Well, we're talking server grade. But it runs on Firefox, and that's all that matters, right? For today, at least. Why don't we introduce our guest? Mr. Dan Callahan. Hey, hey, how's it going? So, Dan, you'll excuse us. Both Michael and I are taking drinks. Sorry about that. We're both losing our voice. <laughs> but, Dan, so you work at Mozilla in the Persona Project. Right, right. What is the Persona Project? So, Persona, uh, you can see it at 
webpersona.org or try it at webmaker.org is a login system that's trying to to bridge this divide between passwords or social auth. Um, so what we're trying to do is give people a way to log into websites without a site-specific password, but using something they already have, using an identity that they control so they can choose who they trust. So it's kind of a way to prove your email address to a site and uh, and get you logged in that way. Okay, so is this going back to, I, you know, I remember around, I want to say 2004, maybe 2003, uh, this idea of like a, a driver's license for your online identity. Is that kind of what we're talking about here or not so much? Um, you can think of it in having the same properties as a driver's license. So if I ran into you in the street and I wanted to prove to you who I was, I show you a license, you look at, right. you know, this makes sense, this is your photo, it's the right hologram. Right. And the next time I show up to talk to you, I don't have to establish a password so you know that I'm the same person. I can just show you that same ID. Because this is something that I would say, um, you know, Google and Facebook have been pushing for a while. But mm-hmm. particularly given recent events, uh, you know, I at least don't want to be using Facebook Auth, right? Um, yeah. Really so, so yeah. There's been this really interesting collapse of OpenID really started, and this is speaking to uh, uh, Arbalus in the channel, says, oh, sort of like OpenID. OpenID started with this idea of decentralizing your identity and letting you control where that was rooted. Um, but the usability just didn't work out, and so you've had this weird collapse into basically Facebook, Google+, and sometimes Twitter being your, your social login options. And at least for Facebook and Google, you're required to have a single account and you're required to use your real name. And if your real name is, uh, you know, insufficiently Western, then you get booted out of the community unless you provide papers. And that seems like a, a dangerous path for the, uh, for the web to, to travel just for the sake of getting rid of passwords, right? Agreed, definitely. So, you know, I, I've been looking at Persona for a few months, full disclosure, right? And I'm very interested in, as a developer for using it as a, the preferred auth method for you know my clients' products and, and my apps, right? What stops me from from just adding Persona to the list of options on on any web app? Um, I mean, nothing's stopping you. The nothing the difficulty me. that we found. So we're in beta right now. Um, okay. We're not going to break the API without giving you you know half a year's notice. Uh, the difficulty is in making sure the persona is presented in a way that is effective and usable. So we've seen sites try to present persona with either a, you know, sign in with persona button or just putting the, the logo right. there. But if people have to be aware of persona in order to use it, we've already failed. Uh, the, the core idea is that this should be the preferred way to sign in with your email to a website. So you can get out of the business of storing and hashing passwords and focus on what you're actually trying to build. So we're trying to kind of attack the other side of the login dialogue. We're sure you could have the Facebook and Google button, but if you want to implement an email-based login, why not use Persona? Okay, Um, so that's interesting what you said, and I just want to dig into it a little more if you don't mind, hmm? that if we have to show a Persona button or a login with Persona badge, we've already failed. Can you you go into that a little more? Because I think that is really what's going to be of interest to uh, myself and a lot of other developers listening. Right. So, so what we want Persona to be is we want Persona to effectively be kind of the, the next generation of like HTTP basic auth, right? Like something that eventually is built into the browsers that's eventually standardized um, and something that people understand. And people understand they have email addresses. And so if you frame it right. in terms of sign in with your email, when you're talking to a kind of non-developer audience, people will see that and think, I have an email address. I can click that. 
and things work wonderfully. Um, if you put a persona button labeled persona next to, you know, traditional email password form next to a Google button, whatever else, people will look at that and say, oh, well, I bet this is some social thing that I've never heard of. I bet I can't use that. And they'll just skip over it. So and this so, all sounds like a no-brainer to me. Um, I guess I have to ask, why has no one done this? Oh, people are doing it. It's, uh, okay. it's just that we as web developers become, have become so accustomed to thinking in this kind of bimodal system where you have the login form on okay. one side and then you have the social buttons on the other. And Persona is a single button that you click. It'll support any email address. It works you know, right now across every browser um, except you know, IE7 and older. Uh, that's a deal um, breaker. I'm sorry. I, I know, yeah. right? Like that. That one percent of your users are ninety percent of your revenue. We're we're not going to be a uh, a good fit. <laughs> but but you see this as this idea is like, oh, it's one button. Well, where do I put buttons for services? Oh, I put it on the social side. And so people just kind of don't think. We've seen people just kind of blindly and out of kind of muscle memory just be like, oh, I'll put the persona button over here. Done. Uh, but that just that tends to not convert well and and confuse the matter. So what we're trying to do is is educate developers that you know if you if you need to have an email based login, try using this so, first before yeah. you go back to you know the traditional form with uh, with the two fields. So so you don't want to go come all the way with me and tell them they suck. Basically, I, I noticed that you kind of just ignored that. Um. <laughs> it's I mean it's it's what are you going to do? Like you have to, personas personas in this weird kind of uncanny valley between the two options. And, well, it's uh, very new. It, yeah. So I've been looking at it for probably two months now, um, and I've been really interested in getting it not on the website but on the native iOS and Mac side. Mm-hmm. How open, I guess you personally, because you're a developer on the project, but also Mozilla in general, are they to third-party client libraries, right? So let's say I could compile a .a, a .lib a uh, iOS library. That I could open source and have anybody use Persona via iOS. Is that something Mozilla is interested in and allowing, or is it really just for the web right now? Oh no, absolutely. So uh, I'll paste a link in channel. We actually have a an iOS SDK that is not as polished as we would like, um, okay. and so particularly if you would want to jump in, there's some outstanding pull requests that you know I don't have the uh, the expertise to review. We'd love it. I mean, Mozilla is absolutely committed to open source to community participation um community driven development and so having more people jump in and write libraries is great the the only catch for native integration and for shipping like compiled bits that do this sure. um two things one persona is fundamentally kind of of the web so our api that we define is all in javascript um so if you have a ui web view you're fine but if you're looking at right. building something you know purely in coco uh, it gets a, a little dicier without embedding webkit the uh, the other side of it is that we're still in beta and still trying to tweak our data formats and API a little bit. Um, so if you're looking at shipping something, you won't have an opportunity to update for you know a year or so. We're probably still a little too too young for you. Um, okay. But if you've got a freaking update cycle, yeah, go for it. So I just want to address something in the chat. Uh, I'm using iOS as an example because it's something I could actually you know look at to help Persona. I'm sure you guys are doing Android and, and Windows and everything as well, right? You're not just focusing on iOS. Um, no, we're we're actually we're focusing the the core team, the people that are being paid to work on this, are focusing almost exclusively on the web use case. Sure. Sure. Um, so the the Persona iOS SDK is kind of happenstance from some other projects that were happening at Mozilla at the time. So we don't have active work going on on native integrations. Uh, okay. The plan is. 
we want to really, really get the the API and the data formats right before we start working on shipping compiled things. Okay. So, so one question we often get when we talk about open source projects, and I have to admit this is a bad habit of mine. You know, mm-hmm. I do the uh, the let's say the less enlightened form of open source, where I do write something and then I abstract it away and then I open source it at the very end, right? So mm-hmm. I do a code dump on GitHub. Is that what's happening with Persona, or is this more pure open development? So is this something where I could go on GitHub and actually see what you guys are doing or wherever you're keeping oh, the code? Absolutely. So absolutely. Mozilla lives and breathes this stuff. So our our mailing lists are open. We have an IRC channel. We're in pound identity on irc.mozilla.org. Um, our weekly meetings are all publicly broadcast. Um, so you can dial in and listen to us live as we figure out what the heck we're going to do each cycle. Um, so no, we're really trying to drive this from a community basis. We don't have the manpower and the, the context to build the right thing for the web without the participation of the web. Great. So So, can I ask a question? Do it. I'm well, waiting for you. I know you're doing great. Uh, so, Dan, um, I just wanted to shift gears for a minute because when I think, and, and maybe, you, maybe I'm on the wrong track, maybe you can correct my thinking too, but when I think of Persona, uh, I think of Facebook Connect and Google Account Connect and things like that. Am I along the same line, right lines? We're, we're trying to deliver the same user experience as those things. So you can log into sites with two clicks. Um, you only have to sign in once per browser, not once per site. Um, or like authenticate once per browser, once per site. You still have to sign into individual sites. Right. Um, but we're trying to do it in a way that kind of mitigates the... So when, we, when those things came onto the scene, they killed the password field successfully and created a sweet user experience. But they also kind of killed that freeform email field, which let you choose who you were. Right. And let you differentiate between me at work versus me at home versus me at, you know, whatever else.com. Good point. And so, so what we've tried to do is say, how can we deliver that same user experience while still giving people control of how they identify themselves to the site? So we, you click the persona sign-in button, you get a pop-up that explicitly says, you know, what email address do you want to use? Type in whatever you want. We go and see if the domain that you're using supports persona. Um, we have bridges up for Yahoo and Gmail, and a lot of the developers have enabled Persona on their own domains. So our, it's a fully sponsor, decentralized. You mentioned system. in the you mentioned in the pre-show, our sponsor Ting has uh, has been using it. But so I guess mm-hmm. now I okay, so I am on the right track. But I guess my question was more: Was Persona created as a response to these systems? Like, was that the motivator? Did you guys see where the direction these things were going and thought, you know, there's a there's a better way to do this? Yeah, totally. So there's no way to win with passwords. And part of Mozilla's charter, if you look at, we have this this really fantastic 10-point manifesto that talks about how user security is not something that can be taken for granted, right. how people have to be yes. able to shape their own experience on the web. Yeah. And the, the status quo was shifting towards something that uh, took that sort of empowerment away from users in the name of security, but hmm. um, but robbed them of you know robbed them of their identity. And there's no way to win with passwords because if you if you have a significant overlap, even if you're doing everything right, you're using S-Crypt, you know, you're using an appropriate work factor, you're doing appropriate per user, per app salts, whatever else, you're keeping up with the times as far as hashing stuff goes. All of that is moot if a majority of your users also had LinkedIn accounts because people reuse passwords. So there's no way to win yeah. as a user. There's no way to win as a site developer. Yeah. Um, but the the proposed solution to this just wasn't consonant with the division of the web as a as a federated decentralized medium 
um, there's also an aspect of scratching our own itch. Uh, we've been building, uh, as, as many people know, cell phones now, the Firefox OS project, and that needed a login system. And we were reluctant to turn that into another traditional system, but we also couldn't in good conscience huh. force everyone through Facebook or Google to log into their phone. So Persona was also kind of co-developed to support that use case. That is very interesting. I was wondering if there was a connection there for that. Uh, so we flash forward now. And so uh, where will we start seeing, do you think, this implemented um, initially? It seems like to me there's now entrenched interests that are sort of going to put up some roadblocks for for adoption because maybe they're already, they already have deals and partnerships, business relationships with Facebook or Google. So they've already solved this problem in their opinion. So how does Mozilla fight against that? Uh, the same way we did with Firefox, right? By building something that's better better for the users. There's a lot of money in having people phone home to you every time they log in somewhere that lets you build an extremely rich profile of people's interests, where they're going on the web, when they're going there. And so the, the, the powers that be are going to be reluctant to, to give that up. But Mozilla, being a nonprofit, isn't motivated by trying to be in the critical path and being privy to that sort of information. So we're able to present something that is truly designed to put the users first um, without concerns for monetization or tracking. And so our hope is that we compete on the basis of of user benefit. Sounds like, I mean, specifically for indie developers, there's a, there's a, there's a big attraction there because if I, as a developer of an app just want to provide legitimate authentication services there's no real there's no business reason for me to go with Google or Facebook over persona right it's it's essentially the yeah. sort of neutral party to choose in this for a developer in this scenario right absolutely and we're trying to we're trying to act as somewhat of a superset of those login systems so we can bridge to certain open ID or oauth endpoints um, so you get one button and you still get the same experience as like the Google login um, if your yeah. business doesn't live or die on the profile information that Facebook will give you. Um, then yeah, I, I, but don't you think more companies are going to Spotify up that information and try to, I mean, there's so much benefit for me to, to, to monetize off you if I can find out as much as possible. And it just seems like this, the cards are stacked against persona, even though there's a, I mean, obviously I think it, I'd love to see it succeed, but it seems like people want that information. People want to exploit their customers. At least I have to, I have to disagree with you there, Chris. I, I'm sorry to jump in, but I I really think that, um, you know, Dan, for me, I don't know how often or not often you listen to the show. Um, every every week, I'm sure. I right, no, it's, it's daily. Twice a week, actually. <laughs> just to, uh... I apologize for everything I've said about Firefox. <laughs> um, you know, I've had to do a little soul searching in terms of aiming products at people, right? It is really easy to make a free product and get a lot of downloads and make no money. Mm-hmm. If you're not willing to do the types of shady things Chris is getting right, into. Yeah, Chris. Yeah. But from another perspective, there is a small set of people who are willing to pay a premium price if they feel their privacy is being protected. Sure. And to me, persona just sounds like you know, it sounds like a really good bullet point in a marketing campaign, right? I mean not not Okay. To, not to, to minimize, people. but it is like part well, not to minimize well, no, but it, it shows to, you respect privacy by using right. it. Uh, yeah, right. I, that I agree. So then, instead when you're of saying, yeah. instead of some flimsy promise that I won't harvest your face, right? So that that would appeal I, to guys like right. you and I. But is that is I mean I, this is maybe not the right conversation right now. But it just to me, right. one I wonder like as a developer, 
I think it makes a lot of sense. So I think for developers, yes. But I, I just I'd like to see it really explode. I think it's a fantastic system, and I I like the neutrality that Mozilla brings into the mix there. I just I just think about the challenges, but it to me could solve. I I, I agree with everything Dan's saying. The password has to go, right? We've got yeah. to solve that. Password is a is a terrible system right now, and it works on mobile. Of- if I could jump in of monetizing, like I love the verb Spotify up that information. <laughs> um, when you're using social auth, sure you gain that, but you also cut a huge percentage of your users, um, double digit percentage. They're just outright unwilling to use Facebook connect. connect. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. And when you're asking someone to log in with the social system, you're asking them not to just authenticate to your application, not to go log in and check something out, but you're asking them to make a trust decision. Mm-hmm. Do they trust you not to abuse the data that they're going to reveal? And exactly. people feel very anxious about using systems like that because you know i don't know i don't know what powers i'm going to give you sure there's that oauth screen but most people can't really look at that and understand like oh you can't post on my wall and so there's this fear and anxiety that that will you know shut down your funnel yeah and and really i maybe now with the with the uh political climate the way it is with uh, all the nsa stuff going on people are thinking about this potentially even more than they have in the past right don't you think this could be one of those timing things too that yeah, absolutely. We're seeing a lot of traction outside of North America as people look at, you know, well, do I want to send all of my customers through a for-profit American company? Right. Um, maybe not. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that I think it solves that problem particularly. But uh, if we could, just because everybody hates it when we talk about mobile, I, I think when we talk about the password, um, I the I was thinking last night about if. If the iPhone 6 or 5S or whatever it's going to be called came out in, on September 10th and it had a built-in fingerprint reader, mm-hmm. you've got to imagine at this point this is Apple's entry probably into this identification login scene. And I think that one of the problems they're trying to solve is that doing good passwords on mobile applications, having multiple passwords on mobile and all this stuff is really hard. It is the tedious of tedious. Like I, I have spent 20 minutes one time trying to log into my Google account on my, on my new Nexus when I got it. It was awful. And I would love to see that go away. But <clears throat> do you think uh, when you when you're looking at a system like iOS um, and I see you guys have this GitHub page here to work on persona uh, on with your iOS applications, could you see Apple coming in and kind of Sherlocking you guys out of this a little bit with uh, on September 10th? Uh, I, I'd be surprised if if that if they were actually able to muscle us out completely. Um, but the idea of, of building things in like two factor auth biometrics, um, whatever is wholly compatible with the Persona protocol. Okay. So the idea is that you authenticate with your email provider, and they completely control how that works. And so, you know, traditionally that'll be you log into your email with a password, but if you're using Gmail, you can use Gmail with Persona, and you'll get your normal two-factor prompt um, today, right now. And so we, we kind of were trying to provide a framework uh, through which Persona is just the reference implementation. Okay. That that hopefully companies like Apple and, and Google will if we if we gain enough traction and become enough of a, a force, we'll play into. Yeah, uh, Mr. Dominic, what are your thoughts on Persona's possibilities for web applications? You know, I think for the web, it's where it's going to be strongest. And you know, I'm I'm just internally here thinking. I like what Dan, what you said about it being transparent, and that I don't need to tell the user that it's Persona. Right? They don't need to understand what Persona is. Um. Because I feel like there's this weird movement to make things easier on users, but then make them so much less secure. For instance, everything you authorize with Gmail has a fatal flaw in that if you've ever repeated that password, or worse, 
somehow compromised your Gmail account, you've now lost everything, right? Mm-hmm. One shot, everything's gone. And so persona... I've just been thinking of ways to kind of get away from Google and Facebook for authentication. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, you know, I, I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten from projects I've been on where, you know, I want to use this app, but, you know, the customer, it's just the customer writing in, but we really don't want to authenticate with Facebook, you know, insert reason here, right? Mm-hmm. And it just seems like, despite what we might like to think as, as tech people, users are getting a little more sophisticated and they're starting to realize that, whoa, I can't give everything every right to my social profile. And I don't want to be in the position to ask for any rights to your because honestly, I normally don't care, right? There's mm-hmm. never a case where I want access to someone's profile. It's just that I know people are too lazy to use strong passwords and sometimes it's easier not to deal with it. Persona sounds like it solves, A, my problem of having to hash passwords. If I cannot be responsible for that, that would be fantastic. And getting away from Facebook, who, you know, let's be honest, um, if we were going to ask Mark Pincus of Zynga right now how he feels about Facebook, <laughs> you know, they, they're they a, a fickle group over there, right? They changed their mind and you're in trouble. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah and I think Mozilla has a history of, you know, dealing straight with everybody. Mozilla ship something and it is what it is if you like it you use it if you don't you don't Uh, i can't think of any case where anyone's been screwed or felt cheated or somehow misled by a mozilla project at all since they've existed Um, and i I, maybe it's maybe i'm putting a little bit of inherent trust in mozilla well you know you actually are bringing me to my next set of questions for dan uh and and dan i don't know how much you can answer about uh, the structure of how persona uh, fits within the mozilla organization uh, but before you answer that, I do want to thank our last sponsor this week, and that is GoDaddy.com. GoDaddy loves you guys, so they have set us up a special Express Pathway checkout system. Now, this may or may not be hand-coded by Danica Patrick while she's racing a car. I can't answer that question, but what I can tell you is if you use the link on our show notes, you get the Express Purchase Pathway. Boom, boom, you're in, you're out. You get your .com. You also click in that URL. It's going to preload you with our coder 249 code to get that .com for $2.49. $2.49. Maybe you're over at GoDads and you're going to get yourself some hosting. Maybe you're going to get yourself some of that GoDaddy.net. Maybe one of them GoDaddy.orgs. You know, there's other things than .com. I didn't even know that. I, how, where did that come from? Next, you're going to tell me there's a .gov. Jeez. Anyways, when you're getting your non-.govs over at GoDaddy or maybe you're getting some hosting, you want to get a few things, you put them all in that shopping cart and then you use that code go 32 off. Four. That's going to take 32% off the entire order. Now, now listen, what I'm really excited about, though, is that Coder 249 code. I want you guys to use the heck out of this to tell them we love them. We love ourselves some cheap dot coms. It's like it's like real estate on the Internet for super crazy cheap. Coder 249, when you're talking two dollars and forty nine cents for a dot com, I'm using that to forward to my social profile. I'm, I'm using that for an invitation. I'm using that as a gift. I gave my grandpa a Nexus 7 with his own email domain. I bought him a dot com using the code Coder 249, two dollars and forty nine cents. It's crazy. Why would I not do that? It's crazy. So go to GoDaddy.com or use that link on our show notes and get that express pathway. And thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. So, Dan, how does Persona fit into the Mozilla organization? Like, I kind of have a pretty clear picture how Firefox and maybe even Firefox OS kind of fits into the whole structure. But, you know, where's Persona in terms of company priority? And uh, and like, are you like sort of like off on your own remotely? Or you, do, you, do you show up to a building every single day? How does all that work? 
So the uh, Mozilla as an organization is super remote. I think half of all the uh, the employees work from cities that don't have offices. So the Persona team is everywhere from L.A. I'm in Minneapolis. We've got a guy in London, two guys in New Zealand. Um, my my boss, the director of identity at Mozilla, is actually in Bulgaria right now. Um, so Wow. So and we're how all is over. that working all over the world like that? Uh, it's actually it's not bad. It means that it, it helps with the transparency and getting community involvement. Cause like we have to do things over email. We have to do things where there's a paper trail and a record and right. other people can catch up. So you might as well just use the tools that the community uses. Exactly. Um, as far as where persona fits in the organization, you can kind of see it as the flip side of Firefox OS where with Firefox OS, we're trying to, to play into this convergence market that's happening between Google and Apple and provide some sort of, of counterpoint that, puts the web first as an open, you know, unwalled garden for people to, to work in. And Persona is kind of the opposite end of that. So the browser's in the middle as a tool, and you've got platforms above it. And then what we're trying to do with Persona is create a foundation for identity on the internet, for identity on the future of the internet. Um, so we're about a, a dozen or so engineers spread across the world. Um, half of us are working on Persona sign-in for the web. Half of us are working on replacing Firefox Sync with something that's based in persona. Oh, cool. Um, so we're really trying to, to build the underpinnings of Mozilla's future offerings and the internet's future offerings around identity. I, I like, uh, I like the possibilities of, of some real nice integration with the Firefox web browser. I could see some, you know, especially with the sync, but even, even just maybe some sort of inherent support. Is there some sort of integration you could foresee in the future with Firefox itself? Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, from day one, the plan was to eventually standardize this at the uh, the W3 level and get it built into the browsers. Um, Firefox OS actually has a native implementation of the, the backend API calls for Persona. And so it's shipped in compiled code in Gecko right now. Uh, we just haven't exposed it on desktop because we're still trying to iterate on, you know, what the right API is. Because mm-hmm. I mean, when you ship it in Firefox, you're shipping it to millions. hundreds of millions of users. Yeah. 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 Now, have you guys had any, or that you're aware of, any conversations with Google? You say you're trying to make it a general standard. Have they weighed in at all? Oh, absolutely. So we we're friendly with uh, with all the major players. Um, get an email from Tim Bray, and you know, every once in a while, and they're looking at at Persona um, as something that's interesting and something that they'd be interested in, you know, considering if we gain traction. Right now, a lot of Google's efforts are behind OpenID Connect and uh, OAuth 2. And then possibly they have an experiment going on called Account Chooser, which tries to solve the user experience problem of things like Social Auth without necessarily mandating a, a different protocol under the hood. Um, so they're, they're kinda, they have their own dog in this race, but it's, it's not an adversarial relationship at all. Oh, good. That's very good. I was a little worried, especially when... You know, you consider they have their own commercial interest and their own web browser to consider. I was, mm-hmm. I was thought maybe there'd be some controversy there, but uh, so where does that leave us now? Where is what's the next thing for the Persona project? What's like right around the cur- the next corner? So, so right around the corner, I, I think the biggest thing for us is to sit down and actually commit to the API that we're going to ship in the the release candidate of Persona and actually start moving towards um, getting the standard out, getting it updated and becoming a platform that other compiled code can base on base itself on. So you'll see us in the next, uh, next couple months focus a lot on outreach to other projects. Uh, so we're building verifier libraries. So you can do the crypto on your own end. We're trying to get that built into, or at least integrated into uh, other platforms and have nice, nice plugins for things like word, pla- uh, WordPress or Drupal, etc. Um, so we can start kind of spreading and uh, finding out if we're doing the right thing. 
Very good. Mr. Dominic, uh, any questions before we uh, let Dan go? No, I think this is very exciting, and this is definitely uh, the direction that, well, I'll be going. I think I can say that. Yeah. And that I, I feel like a lot of developers should definitely at least give Persona a look yeah. before just you know implementing Facebook Auth by, by rote. Right. So uh, we've got a couple of links for people to check out, um, including uh, we have uh, the webmaker.org. Uh, we'll have that linked in the show notes, and we also will have the uh, main Persona site, uh, persona.org, linked in the and show And browser notes. quest, because, yes. Browser quest. Dan, anything else you want to touch on before we let you go? No, uh, just the general idea that we're in, we're in beta. We're a small team. We're super responsive to community feedback. So if you take a look, please, please, please uh, get in touch with me. I'll, I'll give links to ways you can do that so you can put it in the show notes. Oh, perfect, yeah. Um, or if you need help, let us know. We've seen people sit down with zero experience with Persona on multiple occasions and implement it on their site from scratch in 15 minutes. Awesome. Like, literally 15 minutes. Wow. Well, Dan, um, I will be trying it this week, so uh, you might get an email. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> All right, Dan. Well, have a great rest of your week. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, we'll thank t- you guys. Yeah, have a good we'll, one. We'll talk to you later. Well, that was great. So that was, uh, that was Dan from Mozilla. He's an engineer on the Persona team. And I feel like I got a much better understanding of what Persona is all about now. I, I kind of had an inkling, but uh, a, a little, I had a little confusion initially because I was thinking of the Firefox theming, you know, back when they originally did the name swap. Yeah. Well, yeah. You're, yeah. yeah. So I, my meeting got canceled <laughs> for one o'clock. Oh, really? So I was wondering if we didn't want to touch on something we discussed on the pre-show, unless you have to be somewhere. No, let's do it. And my, my voice is not as awful as it was about a half hour ago, actually. I've been uh, sipping on a coffee. This will be like Coda Radio Classic, where we used to do two topics instead of one. I, I literally... So I have two iPads in my office. One's the kid's iPad, and one's the one I nice. use for camera switching. Nice. I literally spilled a cup of coffee on the kid's iPad during the Unity Sync ad. <laughs> Oh, no. So they're going to come home, and there's going to be a Plants vs. Zombies disaster in this house. (laughs) Is it broken? It's not turning on. You're screwed. I know, and I don't want to buy another iPad. I really don't want to buy another iPad, but, I mean, you you don't even understand the the level of drama that that is about to... Go get a mini. Go get a mini. I mean, it's a little cheaper. Yeah, maybe. That's just, oh, man. Uh, yeah, what happened? Good, Chris. It's not good. All right. So, yeah, let's. Uh, we were talking about on the pre-show. Are you Now, which, which topic on the pre-show? So, I was thinking the Ubuntu thing because okay. it's timely, and <clears throat> yeah. frankly, I don't have another meeting until about 3 today. Well, so here we are, uh, just mere hours, really, uh, from the uh, Ubuntu Edge campaign coming to a close and sitting at like 11.5 million right now, right? Uh, I'm, let me get the figure for you. All right. Yeah, I was going. I'll go over to if you just Google search uh, Ubuntu Edge, just like the Indiegogo. So things. we are sixty-two hours, and they're at about just under eleven and a half. Yeah, yeah, eleven point so four. That's it, right, that's with uh, sixty-two hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> hmm. So it's not going to happen, I don't think. No, I mean, I think it's a fair assessment that this was. Uh, I don't want to hit it too hard, but I, I think it was doomed from the jump. And, you know, one thing I would say is it would be easy to sit here and beat the crap out of them. But maybe it would be worth just a few minutes um, to kind of think about why it failed, right? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts because I'm sure I'm going to be thinking about this on the next last. And I haven't really come to a conclusion yet. Because one one issue is, you know, I've been pretty critical of Canonical. But let's be real here. Without Canonical, we particularly desktop Linux would not be as polished as it is today, right? Yeah, I, I do agree with that. And it wouldn't have the numbers, though modest, it 
still wouldn't even have those modest numbers. And right? I think you could argue we likely wouldn't. I mean, maybe. Well, I think it's probably pretty likely we wouldn't have now Steam available for Linux. And there's, right. you know, that's that's been huge for Linux. So I don't think that necessarily, you know, beating the crap out of Canonical makes a lot of sense. Um, I think that you know, do criticism is 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 okay, and and I'll be doing plenty of that. But you know. It, I think it came down to a few, like, uh, so it definitely got to that. The number was too big, and there was a psychological barrier for a lot of folks who right. di- who weren't gonna who didn't even want to just be out of six hundred dollars out of the well, PayPal account you know, for a little while. They didn't even have real demo units to show, right? And that, that 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 was really a barrier for me. I wouldn't put any money down because. So this is you know, yeah. You I, you didn't back it. I didn't back it. Did you but, consider backing it? I did until I realized that the demo units were like CAD mockups, right? Or not, whatever. Like, they're Maya, like 3D you know, printed. Whatever. Yeah, 3D rendered. Well, they have like some cases, some empty cases and stuff with like a yeah. fake glass panel in it, but they don't power up or anything. You know, and they're, I feel like I, I followed it pretty, pretty closely. And there was a couple weird things, right? Like in his, uh, in Mark Sheldorf's presentation when he's talking about the screen, he just says the best materials for right. the, the highest quality, the best CPU but, available. Define best, which right? which the thing the thing is is like both the so the CPU mandates so many other components of the phone, and the display drives so many factors of the power consumption and battery usage. Like not having those two things figured out is sort of like not having the whole thing figured out. Right. The other thing is is we heard a lot. A big point, a big topic was the convergence aspect of it. Right. <clears throat> Now, when you when you look at this, we've never actually seen a fully successful demo. We've seen we've seen a phone in a dock hooked up right. to a monitor, and we've seen you get the Ubuntu desktop. What 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 is true convergence is? I'm tapping away in a notes program about a show idea, and I decide, you know what? I'm at home. I'm going to get out of the, get up off the couch, and I'm going to go put that in the dock, and I'm going to finish it on my keyboard. That's true convergence for me. And uh, we have not seen a demo where I'm tapping away and then I put it in a dock, and then that same information is available in a completely desktop sized application window uh, with uh, you know a UI meant for keyboard and mouse. We haven't seen that. What what we maybe think we can do is maybe I could save it to a file in the in a mobile application and then open Gedit or something on the desktop that same sure. file maybe but that's not true convergence. The other thing is is right now and this is of course because it's in beta. Uh, uh, your buddy Zane pointed this out. The SDK is only for mobile. Like there's no desktop application. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Right. So there there's yeah. nothing. There's no convergence to be heard of. Now they have a year until this so thing it, ships. So in my own so independent of Zane, look at the SDK. It, it feels like a mobile SDK. And if you want to go desktop, you're falling back to GTK. Now, I don't want to criticize GTK or GTK developers. But it doesn't but make cer- any sense. It's not the newest technology, right? Well, especially and, when you're writing the mobile application in, in QT. Right. And even, you know, I, I had this weird issue with Canonical in that I've reached out to them several times with not criticism, trying to perhaps get involved in different capacities or, you know, perhaps put an app on the Ubuntu software center and, and kind of be a guinea pig for the process, give them a little extra feedback, things like that. They are very resistant to anything that is even close to a backdoor deal on that front. 
and like you've got to go through the process is what you're saying like you can't just email i didn't mind going through the process but it's like hey we'd really like to have your app well that's great but i'd have to rewrite it by hand so you know and i know the numbers aren't very good is this some you know does that mean you're interested in featuring it you want to yeah can you tell me if i can you tell me that since i'm only going to make two hundred dollars maximum will you promise to feature it and they get very bad about that. They don't like it. And I, and I, I understand that it's kind of against the whole open morals. And I, I get that. For I think for a lot of the audience, too, that kind of request probably feels dirty. But it's also a reality of a very competitive business, right? And that, let's be honest, if you're on the Apple App Store, it doesn't matter how many bloggers write you a nice review. All that matters is, I mean, it helps for sure if Gruber in particular does something. But if Apple features your app, you're made. If they don't, you're with everybody else. Right. And I'm just starting to feel like, you know, it can't be incompetence, particularly with the App Store stuff at this point, right? It has to be. It's just not a priority. And I can't speak for all developers. You know, if you're not a priority for them, then why should Canonical be a priority for you? And... You know, I don't hate Canonical. I like Ubuntu. I think it's a great server operating system. But maybe it's time to play to our strengths, right? And say, you know what? The desktop's the community's thing. We cannot, We either lack the skill or the will to monetize it. We're going to the cloud, and we're going to make a ton of money. I think maybe. I, I think, you know, um, the cloud is... <laughs> It's like it's one of those things where it's money now, but that that business after a few years changes, and things that are big money makers now aren't big money makers later in some cases. But it's the same with app stores, right? Don't, I mean, don't you think the problem is is they tried to do a phone? I think the problem is they want to be too many things, right? So if you if you think about what I'm saying, I'm not saying fix the app store and be a cloud company. I'm saying be a cloud company and drop everything else. Yeah, I don't think that's their interest. I don't think that's even why the business right. was started. They want, to, they want to be everywhere. They want to be a consumer company. They wanted. They started as they wanted to be a consumer desktop company, and I think they've even given Even Microsoft up. can't pull off the consumer thing, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, okay, yeah. with with the with the very very big exception of the Xbox, and even then, you know, they spent a lot of money with R and D and a lot of money with warranties on the Xbox. And go listen to Windows Weekly with Paul Thorat. There is some debate about how profitable Xbox really is for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I guess I would just say, yeah, I, 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 I don't know about a focus. I feel like there's too much of a need still for the desktop market five, ten years down the road for somebody to come but up with something. They need the, that's that's the problem. The community needs Canonical, but you know, yeah, I'm speaking as someone who knows that Canonical cannot go away. Frankly, Canonical is very, very important, and. It's time, though, for Canonical to, you know, divest in these areas where the community is just takers, right? Because unfortunately, and I think that's why Mark Shuttleworth wouldn't bankroll this himself, that it's a business and it cannot be this charity project forever. You know, think about a world without Ubuntu, right? Or think about an Ubuntu without some kind of centralized... I, it's not even control, right? It's guidance. And you know, I'm just trying to think about what would Ubuntu be like on the server if we didn't have the distraction of Unity or the distraction of the phone. 
You could argue too, though, that it wouldn't have made it as far if people weren't using it on the desktop. It wasn't always a server OS. Right. It didn't start as a server OS. You don't kill the desktop, right? You don't need to kill it, but you also don't need to go, you know, rewrite the user space on your own. You can let the community do that. I and agree. I yeah. agree. Well, that is how they started, right? They shipped the GNOME desktop. Right. And now they're, you know, if Mark Shuttleworth were to come out and say, listen, I don't give a rat's ass about servers, right? It's not sexy. And, and let's be honest, that's what this seems to be about. He wants to have a business that's really sexy and servers are lame. I mean, let's be real. You know, you, it's hard to pitch someone on this new hot server operating system except us nerds, right? There's no one else who gives a shit, like really. And if he told me, you know, listen, Mike, I'm going to go ahead and bribe some executives at Best Buy and we're going to get Ubuntu laptops in Best Buy. That is a good business plan. But this whole thing of, oh, we're a serious desktop company, but go ahead and format your Windows PC. Oh, crap, you have U- UFI? Oh, well, that's a problem. Well, speaking hey. at uh, Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, right. uh, Shuttleworth said that uh, the key challenge in the mobile space is fragmentation of the underlying platforms, and they think they can address that. But he also points out that to him, he says, he goes in here and says, uh, uh, um, you won't, ha- you know, he's looking at five, ten years down the road, and uh, he says, increasingly, uh, we're offloading really rich and complex work into the cloud. So the question comes, what kind of convergence can we create between the device, which is essentially an embedded device, and the cloud? So he sees sort of Ubuntu's cloud play being strengthened by a mobile aspect of it. I, I don't see it. I, you know, I'm even concerned that Microsoft can't even beat Android, right? And Apple is losing a little more every day. But just think about that. Microsoft, who can routinely go to Congress and get anything they virtually want, right, cannot beat Android. Hmm. And to be fair, you know, there are a lot of problems with Android, and I would prefer that Canonical be in the place Google's in now, because... I think Canonical's approach is much smarter, and they've learned, you know, Google really lost control of Android. Yeah. And yeah. Android's this monster. I didn't totally believe it until I heard that Samsung's holding their own separate developer event. <laughs> Samsung is very actively pursuing developers. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. They're, they're serious about it. These these guys are not kidding. They're doing their old, they're doing their, their very own, like, Samsung IO WWDC all-in-one. It's adorable. Yeah, it well, is an it's interesting not challenge. A, it, 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 it's funny, but it's bad, right? And yeah, yeah. I would love for there to be a third contender, but... I'm I mean, very nervous about the future of Android. And that's why I was... Yeah. That's why I'm not 100% on board with what Canonical's trying to do, but that is why I backed it. I was kind of hoping... I'd, I'd love, even if it only was really an option for me, I'd just love to have an option. <laughs> I like... So I want to be clear, because I also see Popey in the chat room. I like Ubuntu, and I want Canonical to su- succeed. But... Canonical is not a big enough company to be a mobile player, a cloud player, and a desktop player. You know, Microsoft can't pull that off. Google pulls that off barely, right? But they don't have a desktop OS. Chrome is, you know, Chrome is a little different, right? And, you know, Apple could not write a web service that worked if it's like freaking dependent on it. (laughs) So all these very large, very skilled companies can't do this. Well, that might be why they can't do it, though. I mean... Some maybe sometimes Canonical is just the right size of uh, of of a, of a fox because they they can really work. Really though, because when you go to buy Super Meat Boy, they need your shipping address every time. 
or an, or the purchase randomly times out. Right? I mean, they have fundamental issues in all three areas. You know, if it were just the phone failing, okay, that's fine. If it were just the app store being a little beta, okay, that's fine. To me, the only area they're hitting tent, they're hitting it out of the park is the server. Right? Yeah, but you see, I kind of can I can kind of get with them on the whole their their cloud position gets stronger if they have a good client side because Red Hat is a hell of a contender in that space. And so is SUSE. And so is Debian and a lot of other distributed OS. I mean, there's a lot of competition there. And it just takes a few big business deals and you can kind of lock down that market. But exactly. It takes backdoor business deals. And I'm not talking about with small pissant guys like me because I understand, you know, they won't want to deal with me. But why can't we bribe Best Buy or, or incentivize the salesman, as Verizon used to call it, right? That's what Samsung does with phones, people. Why do you think when you walk into the Verizon store, they're pushing Android on you? Like, let's let's get to reality. And the reality, if you need to partner with other companies, is cool. Especially retail companies is money, right? These salesmen work on commission. So step zero, I would love to buy a laptop that's Ubuntu-based with Canonical's name on it in Best Buy or, you know, Staples, whatever, right? Why has that never been a priority? Is it because it would cost too much money? I, to me, the only roadblock is that canonicals are very moral, they have principles, and they don't want to break them. But, I mean, you're not going to get in that space without it. And, you know, System76 is doing fine, but they're still a very small, basically, catalog company, right? And they do sell quite a bit of servers, actually. Of course. I'm not saying dump the server. I'm saying... Maybe you can do two businesses very well. So maybe they could do a really good desktop OS, sell the laptops, and do a really good cloud system. Yeah, I think they could, but I think what we're seeing is there's there's no interest in that. I think No interest on whose part? I think they've ran the numbers and said we're never going to make enough money doing it that way. That's got to be what it is. Internally or whatever, somebody did the math and said, we as a company will never be successful if this is our route. We've got to change it up. I can't believe that. I mean, just looking at the Ubuntu Edge, the thought that this would get that amount of money is madness. 11.4? You think it's crazy it got that far? No, I think to get the full 32 or whatever it was, right? The full value. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I would be... Right now, let's be serious. If you're a tech company and you're going to compete in any of these spaces... Microsoft is an afterthought, right? I would love to compete with Microsoft. I don't want to compete with Google. Because Google will wipe you off the map just by pricing everything at free. So I, where, where was this phone going to sell? Well, no, this was only going to sell to the Indiegogo contributors. Right, and where do we go from there? That's my point. You, then After. you have proof of concept that you bring to the carriers and say, here's a very high-end phone, here's our right, beautiful operating system, and right. here's developers that are creating applications for it right now, and you can take this image and you can load it on your hardware and you can sell it to your customers for free or with markups, put your own apps on there. It was it was to create that proof of concept that they took around to people, but they wanted to put enough out there to sort of seed the developer ecosystem, I'd imagine. And you think about it, if you're a developer and you throw in $700 for a phone, you're likely going to try to create an app for it. <laughs> but I think... See, I think that's a chicken and egg thing, right? Knowing, in all likelihood, this campaign is going to fail. There wasn't a developer interest because 
there is no market. Um, but I get emails on a weekly basis from other developers complaining about the Ubuntu App Store on the desktop, and all my bitching seems to go nowhere. Um, and I don't know if it's because they, it's not a priority or, you know, it just seems like they have a passionate community who want to be on the desktop and in the cloud. And they just don't want that anymore. Right? I mean, yeah, I would agree. these developers are chomping at the bit. Look, my own very own Zane loves Ubuntu. Would probably write an Ubuntu app tomorrow if he could, you know, get some kind of financial backing for it. But, oh, God forbid we do that, right? That would be bribery. That would be bad. And I just don't understand. Instead of trying to raise $32 million, why don't we do a contest for $50,000 to any a developer who wants to develop for Ubuntu, you know, the best app gets the 50 grand. Yeah. That store would be top shelf in less than, less than a year. And, if yeah. you, Kopi, if you use that idea, I want 10%. I guess I see I see where you're going, and I think that you're, this is all predicated on the notion that they could somehow make a profit selling to that industry. I think they've they ran their app store, they've looked at the sales, they looked at their downloads, their donations, and they said, "Ah, eh, it's never going to work." I'm sorry, Zane won't sell out sell out like that in quotes for cheap, so he yeah. needs more than fifty k. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, you know, and and I know this comes off as combative. This is not from a, a combative place. This is. You know, this is about, you know, to be honest, I, I feel like Ubuntu is like our lost cousin who started doing drugs and drinking and is wandering the streets. And it needs to be slapped a little bit to, to fall back in line. Yeah, and I wondered, like, if this campaign fails, will that be a slap that kind of realigns their priorities? I don't think so. I think they'll just push on with releasing images for existing hardware. So and with that, to me, that that sounds like the equivalent of downloading an ISO, bringing it to a disk, and installing it over your Windows installation. Yeah, I mean, I, I see. I I, I kind of don't think that's true. I think there's going to be a period where that's true, but this is a pretty public failure, right? This is not. Well, no, we'll be told that even though it didn't reach its goal, it was still a huge success. That's what we'll be told, right? I mean, that's. Everybody, prepare yourself from in 62 hours from these words. We're all going to be told how it broke records, it changed minds, it opened up ideas, it created conversations, it started the dialogue. If anything, with the developers I'm talking to, this whole campaign has created more uneasiness about developing for Ubuntu. That is exactly what I believe the true reality is that among developers. People look at this and go, oh, so they couldn't, you, they couldn't even fund know, it. It would be a fun exercise for new listeners to go back to the archive and listen to right when the software center was coming out, how enthusiastic and happy I was. And then as I had more you know, time to look into it and kind of working with it, it it's really not there. And all this effort they've put into this mobile stuff, they could have had a, a better app store than the Mac app store, easily. I think if they would have done, you know, like... Let's fund a few developers for a, for a year to write. That's to, what I'm talking about. Yeah, right. If, if, write uh, them. I, yeah. No, 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 no. No, I mean, if they oh, would have done like a go-go go campaign. Unless you people call it bribery when Microsoft does it for Windows Phone. But if Canonical does it, they're funding them? I'm saying Canonical should hire people. Like, I'll hire them. Hire now. some developers to work on their these applications that are continuous pain points. And if they had to, let's see if the – 
finance three developers to make the Ubuntu desktop the best release we've ever had in years. Let's well, we're going to rewrite, you know, put up some put up goals, rewrite the uh, app center, uh, improve login, blah blah. You know, just make up a list of everybody's bullet points. You know, re- rewrite the whole damn thing to Qt, improve the SDK so it actually has components in there for desktops to create desktop applications. This whole list of stuff. Put that up on Indiegogo and see if right. that gets funded. And that you wouldn't have to do thirty two million dollars either, right? You might. So, you, Maybe do a hundred thousand dollars. So two um, hundred thousand. So I don't know. I'm the boss in the chat room is claiming that the reason they're not improving the app store is because they want to rewrite it next year. That's fantastic for next year. Yeah, it's yeah. Virtually useless for now, right? And it's been like that for it's been so the problem is it's remember, been bad for too long. Do you remember what BlackBerry did? Um, you know they're dying, obviously, but this was actually <laughs> a successful program for them in that it got them a lot of apps in a short period of time. They were emailing developers that had relatively prominent apps and saying, listen, if you cannot make, if you port your app to BlackBerry and you don't make at least $10,000, we will write you a check for the difference. As it's an insurance get, policy. As long as you get like 4000 It was something ridiculously low number of downloads. So here's a little insurance policy. We'll, we right. promise that, and you know, for them, if they make money, they don't have to write a check. Right. I, and they have all the sense. books. They know exactly what you made, so there's no fraud, Right. And, you know, we did see a lot of people write apps for them. Remember, we had a bunch of people emailing in their BlackBerry apps. Yep. Yep. And it certainly it's not the solution, but it's, you know, it's a program that was such a passionate community. It would at least change the headline, right? Instead of the headline being, you know, Ubuntu Software Center third rate, it would be Ubuntu Software Center encourages new developers. Yeah. (sighs) Well, and uh, elementary OS is great. There's still really there's still a lot of really good stuff out there, and you might well, be right. I, I Maybe I still think there's hope. It's just you know it. It's important to see how they take the criticism, and I know Popey was just in the chat room, and he seems not to be now. Well, you mentioned his name. I, I feel bad for Popey to be honest, because it's not he's not the one making a decision, right? But people beat the shit out of him. Uh, but I, I I just feel like if they want to attract more developers. They need to stop listening to that little vacuum of Linux folks who don't care about, you know, actually making money on software. Isn't the problem, you damn developers, who think you know better than us users? Isn't that the core of the problem? I I think the problem is that, on the one hand, they want to attract developers from other... I'm talking about the heavy-handed vision stuff. You know, you shouldn't have a minimize button. You don't need to have this. You should be using it like this. You're holding it wrong. You know, this kind of... The designer, the developer, the creator, right. I've thought deeply about it, so therefore I must be correct. You user, you haven't thought about it as deeply as I have, so you're not correct. This is a vision. This is a grand architectural for the future that we're building. Isn't that really what the problem is here? I mean, I see it in so many projects. I see it in GNOME. I see it in elementary OS, to better, to worse. I see it in Mac. I see it on iOS. I see it on apps developed for mobile. And now I feel like I'm seeing it in the Canonical project, or the Canonical company. I feel like you have visionaries that are are running away with this concept that isn't practical. I feel like I'm not. I feel like I'm seeing just scrambling for the next hot thing. I think they would say we are trying to skate before the puck gets there. And what's funny, though, and is the puck's fine. already there. Right. Android's there, right? Android's right. there. It's iOS is there. It's locked down. And I think that's one reason why people didn't fund it is because they've got a phone that does everything they want with support right. and a contract and apps that they've spent maybe, you know, some change on. 
So it's it's people don't need a phone. I think the tablet space. There's a lot more room for competition in there. I would love to see Unity on a tablet. So I, I think it's I guess always that's where we're going to have a little cultural difference, right? So coming from the Apple side of things, I feel like it's not polished. What just the whole software center, the whole integration with Dash, everything. Right. Yeah. It, just, it needs more work. Yeah. Just stop what you're doing and and fix what you have. Yeah, that's always been what I've wanted. Yeah. And then. And then we can talk about phones. Well, when they get close, like they do these LTS releases and they put in a lot of polish to those. And every now and then you start to see what they can really do when they sort of really hunker in on quality for a little bit. They don't, you know, it still needs work, but you can see a marked improvement every time they do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's easy to complain about little things in Ubuntu because they do the big things right. Your hardware generally works, right? You know, we're not back in the bad Pulse Audio days. I mean, we're there. I, I am because I'm on Arch now, but yeah. Well, you suck, but <laughs> oh, I'm gonna get a lot of hate mail for that one. Hey, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is. I mean, us damn developers who have a vision. I don't even think it's a vision. I think it's just, you know, I'm trying to think of you know, 18 year old me listening to this as a Linux fan at the time, right? A big Linux fan, and I think I would just come off as greedy. Um, because I think what my argument's boiling down to, if Canonical doesn't care about proprietary developers making money, proprietary developers aren't going to care about Canonical. And A, focus on one or two things at a time rather than ten. But I think they've gone as far as they can go on the path they're on. And they're, to their credit, they've done very well, but it's time to take it up a notch, right? Mm. Yeah, I would pay for Canonical for Ubuntu OS. In a heartbeat. I think they feel like they're just getting started on this new path. Well, I listen, I would love to eat my hat. You know, if, if Popey wants to slap me with a uh, NDA and show me the next version of the software center, I'll keep my mouth shut and eat my hat. Well, you'll just probably see uh, the code show up on Launchpad when they start. And I don't know if they've made that decision yet. I mean, how do you, so they want it based on the dash, but they're rewriting all of that. Which doesn't help anyone today, right? Because... For a quality app, it can take, you know, minimum of nine months to develop it. There right? have been, and I know I've harped on this, and I may just mention it quickly. There have been, I feel, major moments, two now, I believe this is the second, that Canonical has decided to pivot at the absolutely worst possible moment in in desktop computing history. The first was when they switched to Unity, oh, yeah. um, and, and Vista was around at that time. They lost a massive opportunity to collect the users, and Apple benefited ginormously. They, their market share exploded during this time. People left, and when they, and, and when they made yeah. that switch to Unity, people left Ubuntu on top of that and switched to the Mac. So the Mac was getting users from Linux and from Windows. Atrocious. It was hemorrhaging. Now here we are, Windows 8, Vista 2.0, right? People are down on Apple like they've never been down before. People well, are realizing I mean, the hardware moves too fair. slow. There are reasons to be down on Apple right now, and I can't talk about them. Never mind. Right. And, there, and, and we, some of those become more apparent when the next versions of the OS has come out. But yet again, right as this sort of perfect storm is, the other two big players that take desktop are, are make, taking missteps. Right. Canonical's also losing focus once again and taking a misstep. Instead of building, even if they just did it for another four years, if they just kept it together for just a few more years just to let people come in and they worked on it and worked on it in the background and then rolled it out. I mean, look at elementary OS where they've worked on something since 2011 and they weren't willing to call it a 1.0 until it met a certain bar. I just right. wish we had that kind of dog-hearted philosophy about, about, about that kind of polish. And I think they would be sucking up 
They would be hoovering up all these XP users that are leaving XP that don't want to go to Windows 8. They'd be hoovering up all these disenfranchised so you know Mac who users. They're going to hoover up pissed off Apple developers. That's who they should be talking to. There are a lot of people who are getting really tired of, um, you know, oh, look, a new app's got featured. Let's Google the guy's name. Oh, he used to work for Apple. How cute. This, so I, I don't know if I can put into perspective, I don't know if you guys out there have witnessed this yourselves, but the enterprise has like zero interest in Windows 8 and now Windows 8.1. Like none on the desktop because a lot of these companies are on XP and 7. And, well, and, it, is and a, it costs a lot of money to train people. That's why, you know, there's nothing wrong with Windows 8, but if you have to deploy it to 5,000 employees who have no idea what it is, right. you're going to have to bring in trainers. And it's actually, that. some of these yeah. applications, when you're talking Firefox and some of these Office applications and web applications, it's the same on the Linux desktop. It's the same yeah. stuff. And you can take, and here's the big thing, if you've got decent hardware and anything that like shipped with 7 on it would qualify, you can just load Ubuntu or any desktop Linux on that, and you don't have to get new hardware either. So the business can reinvest in the in the hardware equipment they've already purchased. This is there's a lot of people talking about this, but as canonical kind of waffles on the desktop, they're losing they're losing uh, the spot as a contender in that conversation. Well, one thing of interest to me is you know every year around and first I just want to give a quick shout out to I'm the boss and Popey. I totally you guys are sticking to your guns and I totally respect that. Keep it up, and I, and I hope I am wrong next year. Yeah, me too, yeah. Is that, you know, every year up until WWDC, there's this large group of Apple developers who get really pissed off, right, <laughs> about the preferential. And I'm one of the more vocal of them because there are repercussions to talking about it in public, about some of the preferential treatment to certain people, right? And in every WWDC, with the exception of this one, Apple has done something to you know, kind of kiss it and make it better or calm you down or, or mm. this time I can't say much. They didn't do that at all. In fact, they did the opposite. Now is the time to say, gee, buddy, I'm sorry that you're not John Gruber, but you know, we don't like John Gruber either. We'd love to feature your app or gee, tired of dealing with um, the bureaucracy at Apple come to canonical. We're Unix based. Right. You know, you all bring over your Ruby scripts, bring over your bash scripts. Yeah, come on. We've got look, a great client-side operating system. And by the way, look, we've got Unity one of the more looks, popular cloud operating systems, right. too. Unity looks better than Aqua does. Come on over. Look at this. You'll be running the same infrastructure, the same system on your desktop and your server. Well, and Canonical could also be like, you know, we don't care what. If you want to use Google services, if you want to use Amazon services, we don't care. You know, you just we're not we're not going to reject your app because you use the Dropbox library and we're in a pissing contest with Dropbox, right? Right. There are a lot of things Apple does routinely. Right. Um, and now we're seeing Google do, in, like, in, right. for example, with Google and Microsoft and the YouTube app. These two are pissing at each other. It's the same thing because they have invested interests where they compete with each other, so they don't necessarily want to interoperate. Just like you know, and the problem is. Little indie developers get caught in the crossfire. Exactly, and it breeds animosity, and it breeds on two levels. It breeds what you know. I, I think the only real word for it is envy and jealousy for those who are above the fray, and also just deep-seated mistrust of the vendor, right? Of Apple, right, and all of their future actions, right. And then whenever you know it, why can't Canonical? You know, if anything, Popey, I think you're honestly. I think you have a great opportunity to be like. I'm so sorry about that, you know, insert little mess up Apple did this week. You know, why don't you port to Ubuntu? We promise we don't do stuff like that. Hmm. Yeah. But actually have the process not suck. Like that's the key, right? 
you need to have good desktop widgets. You need to have the same type of quality dev tool chain. And it does come down to focus because I think that these are all, all everything you're talking about are all things on their to-do list. But I don't know. It's I go back to some of the outstanding issues that they've had for a long time and they still haven't been addressed. I just kind of have to think there's just not enough people working on stuff, which is probably because, a huge problem. You know, one issue that, and I, I won't na- I won't name names, but I was at a developer meetup last month, and a, a very dear friend of mine who's also a Apple developer got Sherlocked by someone very famous in the community. And what that means is he had an app out that was doing reasonably well, but then someone with a, I would say, less full-featured app released it, was featured, and his business died. Right? You know, it, it's... There's a lot of animosity that you could take advantage of. Because overnight, he had a profitable piece of software that he slaved over that was now dead in the water because someone else right. was more famous. Well, and not that there's really a, not, this is not a good example, but you know, iOS 7 includes a flashlight button. A lot of those flashlight apps now are just all, right. you know, big deal, but they're all just wiped out. The, the, these, th- this happens a lot. About every year, there's one or two apps, app categories that are destroyed. Like, doesn't iOS 7 have built-in photo filters now? I, I mean, I know there's, like, stuff in there they add that... I plead the fifth. I don't know if I Like, for example, that. on my HTC One, it comes with built-in um, photo filters, you know, your Instagram effects. So I never launch any third-party apps now for that kind of stuff. I always just use the camera yeah. app. Um, and mean, so there, there's, there's a lot of pissed a lot off of people. There's a lot of issues, right? With, in particular, iOS 7 is a big change. That's all I'm really going to say on it. And it is not trivial to go from 6 to 7. So this is the time when people are reevaluating, and there is a large crossover between, you know, it's true that there's not many Mac developers, but if you're a Mac developer, you're probably an iOS developer too. Why not be a Ubuntu developer? All Canonical has to do is hear your complaints, tell you it's okay, and that's it, right? I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm oversimplifying. Maybe Canonical doesn't want to do that. It just feels like I know enough. I wouldn't say disgruntled, but mm-hmm. disgruntled is the right word. I think Apple it is. Developed. People are frustrated. They're stuck. Right, because it's it's you know it's a very cl- and not to be fair. Open. In fact, I think you've covered it on last. Open source has the same classist problem, right? Where there's a tier of famous people who who basically crush other people at will. Yeah, that's not good. <clears throat> right. Unfortunately, in the proprietary world, people's businesses are ruined overnight. And it's a serious problem. I agree. I agree. When, when the vendor selectively features the same people over and over again, it's hard to... You, know, you can say, oh, it's because they always do quality. Do they, though? Right? <laughs> like, you know, It's $5 for a note-taking app that doesn't sync with anything. Quality? I, I'm, I'm just saying. It's... It's not, no. There's, you know, my buddy would develop for Ubuntu, and he's not a Linux guy at all, tomorrow, if he got an email. And if they said, we don't do this, and, you know, there's a revenue potential. I don't know, maybe it's too personal, maybe it's, Yeah. I'm going to be curious to see where it goes. I mean, I don't think at this point we're going to everybody swoop in and save the day. Um, no, I, I don't. But I would like to see, you know, them Superman style Popey come in and be like, it's OK, guys. Well, maybe they will. Maybe they will. I will see where it goes. I, I think the other the other side of this is 
if an outside vendor doesn't, mm. it's going to actually devalue the Apple App Store. Um, how so? You know, we, how so? Yeah. So, if, so you're saying by not having competition, it devalues the store? By exactly by having the same sets of people be the top performers, oh. it's actually preventing new people from coming in yeah. or coming in and doing really quality stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you almost need a new platform for a new uh, group of uh, people to rise. Right. Aren't you now making the argument for mobile on uh, Canonical's part? Aren't didn't you just didn't you just spend the last 5 minutes now making the case for why they need to make a mobile platform? So I don't think mobile matters. I don't think it's if it's mobile or You think it could be an app store on a desktop too. Right, cuz the yeah. same problem exists on the Mac. The problem I think that they're going to face on the desktop and I guess maybe we should wrap it up, but I would say the issue is Steam is going to just steamroll them. I think Steam's, uh-huh. Steam is reaching out to projects right now, asking them to include their apps, open source free projects. They just want to list it in the Steam store. They are creating a full-fledged app store. Well, that's be- you know Steam isn't shy about calling developers and being like, so I hear you're doing something. Let's chat. Yeah, exactly. They just uh, contacted and they the- don't They don't feel that that's inappropriate in any way. They just contacted the Blender right. uh, uh, project and said, you know what? Blender is awesome. We'd love to have it in the Steam store. Can we talk? And there's some processes they have to go through. And, you know, it's not as straightforward as other app stores like the Software Center. But you got to figure, honestly, even though I would love to see Canonical be super uber successful on the desktop, if I have the same app and it's available on Steam or the Software Center, I'm probably going to get it on Steam because then I get it cross-platform. I kind of know Valve's going to be in this game for a long time. So the problem is they have created a desktop platform that lets other people make money but doesn't make them any money. Oh, so they have the Microsoft problem. Yeah. Well, I don't know where this leaves us, but as every week, a little sad. <laughs> I know. We got to quit doing that because we're going to people are going to start stop tuning in if we make them. Well, just reflect on the conversation we had with Dan earlier. That was great. Uh, apologies to Popey and John Gruber, but really Vesper is not worth $5 and my buddy is very Ouch. pissed off. Ouch. You know, I think where it leaves us and this is and this is an answer you're not going to like. But I, as a user, I am seeing the rest of the Linux ecosystem really actually respond to what Canonical is yeah, doing. I don't now. like that because I want Canonical to do well. Right? right? You're just saying go to a different distro. Well, yeah. it's causing these distributions to sort of work towards common goals, common graphics subsystems, common you know uh, system D is is a is a core component that uh, uh, basically every distribution is moving to. So you're seeing a lot more cohesion in the Linux camp. So it's it's starting to become, not yet, but it's starting to become more of a reality. You write once and run on any distro. See, I, I feel, you know what I feel like? I feel like the, the proverbial scolding wife here. Like, I love Canonical, but I have to yell at them. It's like yeah. they're a little kid with a paperclip trying to put it in the electrical outlet. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just screaming at nothing. You know, my brother once decided to climb up my bookshelves and I went bananas on him but I, you know, because I don't want him to get hurt. This is like the same thing. Uh oh, man! I got a line across the screen on the iPad. It turned yeah, on. It turned on, but and it smells like coffee. But I got a line across the screen. I think. Uh, well, how you can still. Your local, how far is your local Apple store? Uh, about twenty-five miles away. <laughs> Take it to the quote genius and have him tell you you need to buy a new one. Yeah, exactly. All right, Mr. Dominic, we want to hear people's feedback. Don't forget you can pop the contact link or go to coderadio.reddit.com or send us an email, coderadio at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Mr. Dominic, where should people find you throughout the week? Oh, I don't know, a mental house. <laughs> 
or mdominic.com. That would work too, right? We have Dominic links. M.com, DominicM.com. We have links in the show notes so that way if you got confused, you just click a link and make it easier. Also links to some social profiles if you'd like to get a hold of us. We love to get your feedback. Helps us make a better show every single week. Don't forget, Coder Radio is live Mondays at 9 a.m. noon Eastern over at jblive.tv and then available for download Monday afternoon. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coder Radio. We'll see you right back here next week.